It's Wednesday, March 14th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Allen. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Options, Jim Gillies, and from Motley Fool Pro, Jeff Fisher. Gentlemen, good to see you. Chris, good Greetings. to see you. Uh, we are going to talk options. We're going to talk Encyclopedia Britannica, but we are going to start with banking. Woohoo! <laughs> The Federal Reserve released the results of its latest version of a bank stress test yesterday. Uh, this is where they're testing banks' ability to withstand a, quote, depression-type scenario, including a 50% drop in stocks, 21% drop in housing, and an unemployment rate of 13%. 19 banks were tested. 15 of them passed. The ones that didn't, Citigroup, MetLife, SunTrust, and Ally Financial, um, a lot to get into here. Jim, I'll just start with you. W- what does this say to investors? Have confidence in the banking system. <laughs> and was it, uh, was it essentially set up that way? I mean, because uh, the, the cynical person... Me? <laughs> ...could look at the Federal Reserve and say, hey, look, this is just... You're just uh, doing a dog and pony show to instill confidence in the market about the banking sector. Uh, I'm not sure I'd call it a dog and pony show. I, I don't actually think there's anything wrong with instilling confidence in the banking system, but I, I'm definitely on the side of the equation that says, you know, it was very likely these were going to pass, or most of them. I think that it's interesting that the one that uh, the largest one that didn't pass is somewhat of a protectorate of the U.S. government, so it's going Citigroup. to be given, yeah, Citigroup, so it's going to be given time to... Uh, to work its way out uh, for what little problems it has. And it, it, it was very clear, I believe, we were talking about this before we started taping, It's very they were very close to passing. Yep. So if the nightmare scenario that you described doesn't come to fruition, you know, they're probably going to be fine as well. Maybe there's a mild recession, say, and the stock market's only down 35%, please no. Um, you know, so I mean, I, I, I think the biggest thing that came out of this, and I think certainly stock prices of these banks, particularly JP Morgan and Wells Fargo, uh, to name two off the top of my head yesterday, was to instill confidence, and I think the market got the message. Jeff, it seems like the the tests themselves were at least more stressful than the the first round a few years ago. The, those those seemed like they were you know pretty much anyone was going to pass those. Certainly, Chris, and the companies are these banks are much stronger than three or four years right. ago too, so they can sustain these tests. But still, it's worth noting that nearly twenty percent of the U.S.'s largest banks failed this test, and. Of, of the ones that are the weakest, they have a tier one capital ratio, which just measures how well they're able to absorb losses mm-hmm. in the 4% range. That's a very small amount of capital, tier one capital. Uh, you want it to be a minimum of 4% and go all the way up to up to 15%. At uh, 15% and above, it, it suggests the bank isn't using their capital well. So most of the healthiest ones, like American Express, is right around 10%. <coughs> State Street Corp is 12%, a little high. but So all these, all these weakest ones are around 4%. So, but not to spend too much time on Tier 1 capital. The other question is non-performing loans. That's, I think a lot of these banks are overstating their performing loans and, and brushing the non-performing loans in with that group even when they shouldn't. And that's, that's the one concern that's still out there. And how will we know? How will this come about? If things do get really – if there is stress mm-hmm. to be – tested and overcome in the future. We don't know what's going to bring that about. The butterfly effect comes to mind. The, the yeah. government, with their tests, they have all these certain parameters. They think everything's going to go a certain way. We have no idea what will bring about stress. And if it's in Europe, for example, and some of these banks have non-performing European loans on the books, those will bubble up to the surface. Uh, ad infinitum, you can go on and on with possible scenarios. But bottom line is, we don't know how many of their loans are really non-performing because they, they always tend to overstate them. Uh, well, and, and Jim, we've talked about it in this room before about 
particularly when you're talking about the big Wall Street banks, there is sort of a black box quality to them. How mm-hmm. much insight, how much more insight do tests like these give investors when it comes to the banking sector? I'm not sure. I, again, I think it's mainly a confidence issue. I almost said confidence game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a confidence game. Um, it, it's more a confidence issue. Jeff's exactly right. I mean, you don't know what's there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that's the big lesson from 07, 08, 09, right? Is that we don't know what's there and we don't know if there's suddenly these uh, these phantom mortgage loans or, or mortgage bonds uh, tranches that there's suddenly no bid for. What are they worth? Uh, now, that said, I have uh, perhaps a, more of a sunshine and roses outlook in that uh, – you know, I think that they are. I, I think that most banks have already gotten the message over the past four years in terms of you know get these things either not off your balance sheet, but at least hedge them out or or, or hedge out what you can mm-hmm. or get rid of what you can. And so I think that you know I, I have a bit of faith in this. I mean, maybe perhaps it's misplaced faith, but I, I really think that the the message of you know we we are looking hard at this at the Fed they're trying to trying to send here, and we think things are good here. And, we may ultimately prove uh, wrong. Skeptics will say that the Fed wouldn't uh, do the test right now and come out with a report if it wasn't half yeah, decent. Yeah, with 19 fail, That's a right? little skeptical even for me. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, I, I think the, the exercise itself, though, is probably a good one. And certainly, I mean, mm-hmm. this is for the largest U.S. banks. But moving away from the banking industry um, and just looking at sort of stress tests in general, um, Jeff, I'll just start with you. What, when you're looking, um, whether it's a given industry or or just any stock whatsoever, when you're looking to invest, what's one or two tests that you like to put stocks through uh, or companies through uh, to see if they're going to be worth investing your money in? One thing I always look for, and and pro Motley Fool Pro followers know this well is a high amount of recurring, naturally recurring revenue, automatic, automatically recurring revenue, because obviously that lends a lot of stability to the business. Sure. So this is contracted revenue, uh, long-term contract revenue, uh, renewal revenue, and, and one company that fits the bill is a pro-holding. It's a small insurance company, uh, workers' comp insurance, Amtrust Financial Services, Okay. tickers AFSI, and they have a renewal rate north of 90% every single year since 2007, wow, since they came public. Nice. So that really lends stability to the business. At the same time, they're adding new customers on top of this recurring revenue, and that's how they've grown really well since they came public. And uh, <clears throat> so that's what I really look for, a lot of recurring revenue that's natural just by the nature of the business, transactional, like mm-hmm. MasterCard or American Express. Or that's natural through renewals like Oracle and their software renewals or Amtrust and insurance renewals, uh, the Motley Fool itself through its <laughs> subscription newsletter services, and contracted revenue that's contracted for the long term. Yep. Like a helicopter company I've talked about here before, uh, Bristow Group, almost all of their revenue is contracted. They, they fly helicopters out to deep water drilling uh, rigs. All of their revenue is contracted, and the beautiful thing, too, is they earn 60% of their revenue whether they fly or not, and it's contracted out for years. So that's stability right there. Is that a company that you've actually like gone out and tested? Because that seems like that would be kind of fun, if so, it, like in terms of a research fly trip. Fly rig, Jeff. You know, I've yeah. never been on a helicopter I think that's I think that's got to go on your bucket that list. That would be now. fun. I hear it's a little more a little more frightening than it's airplanes. I'm okay on airplanes, but usually. Let me know how it works out. Okay. No, uh, 
<laughs> Jim, what about you? What's a what's a stress test that you like to put? Uh, I, I'm going to first through? agree with with Jeff. I mean, uh, having recurring and contracted revenue is so important. We have a we have a company in uh, in Molly Fuel Options called C-SPAN, which is a container ship operator. Uh, they, not the cable network. That not, you know, yeah, no, yeah, right. Uh, sorry, uh, C-SPAN. Because yeah, that programming. I mean, if you're having trouble, C-SPAN is, is <laughs> it's awesome. Good for sleep. No, it's uh, C-SPAN is uh, ticker symbol SSW of the New York Stock Exchange. They are a container shipping company, uh, shipping basically goods from uh, areas of the world. You know, consumption. You know, the production centers to consumption centers. North America and Europe are the consumption centers. Production centers are Asia, and that's probably not going to flip anytime soon. These guys. Uh, have ships contracted and built, and the day those ships come out of the the yards, they immediately have them tied to a 12-year charter on average with a major shipping company for a specific amount per day, and you know, and 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 they don't get broke. None of the contracts have ever been broken, and essentially, you know, so you 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 come out with a ship, and day one, you have the next 12 years of revenue planned out. And I think that so what, what Jeff's talking about as a stress test that's that's a really important thing for I believe for for investments as well. But I'll yeah, flip a little. The funny bit. thing yeah. with banks to tie it back in is in a stressful yeah. environment, people are going to stop paying their loans back. Yeah, exactly. You know? so, so when when you need that recurring revenue, it goes away. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I'm not so much of an industry guy, and I'm going to separate the financials and the banks over over here for a minute. But um, I'm really keen on cash flows. Understanding where you know basically the, the to boil it down to a single question is the company self financing and creating value and you do that by assessing measuring and understanding the cash flow ability of a company forget earnings and that stuff we don't care about that but the cash flows all the time and then take the components of the cash flows and you know and this is where the recurring stuff comes in or you know and answer the question maybe is that cash flow sustainable and I want a company that is generating strong cash flows, sustainable cash flows, and sustainably growing cash flows because, you know, that... Now you're demanding. I am absolutely <laughs> demanding. Well, you know what? It, it, it's unfortunately school of hard knocks because a couple of uh, times when you let that slide, you know, uh, the worst company in Motley Fool Options that I've that I've put in, in front of the service, I have one company that deviated from that, and I thought the company was going to turn around during the time period of a recommendation, and it didn't, in fact, turn. And, you know, that was the one time I – it's form factor, F-O-R-M on the NASDAQ. It did not, in fact, turn. Things have gotten worse. And, and frankly, you know, and and that was a mistake. That was a mistake. And I broke that rule, and I'll never break it again in the service. That's for sure. So what are a couple of companies that that adhere to that rule? Oh, I mean, all kinds kinds of restaurant companies. uh, Restaurant businesses are really great business most of the time. And it's names you wouldn't even suspect. A lot of people are surprised to hear that. I'm totally surprised to hear that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Buffalo Wild Wings is a a longtime fool recommendation in Hidden Gems. How long Uh, have have they been around? Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings has been around since the 80s, in, not in its public form. I think they came public in 03 or 04. Is there any concern that, like Rainforest Cafe or other restaurants that I've since uh, forgotten? Yeah, no, these, <laughs> it, these guys are run by really smart operators. They generate a ton of cash flow. They are debt-free, so they have the, their financial risk from that perspective okay, is zero. I just view restaurants a little bit like fashion. Yeah, um, you know, even even the worst restaurant chain is often often has very good economics, provided the people in charge are allocating capital appropriately. I mean, there's no end of restaurant chains out there that are being run, even if they are generating lots of cash flow, are being run by you know, shall we say, subpar capital allocators. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Rainforest Cafe. I, I was thinking Planet Hollywood. There yeah, Planet, just Planet <laughs> Hollywood. Um, not to, you know, it's a public company, but it's a Jack in the Box. I mean, the Jack in the Box is. No. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, they did. They can generate a lot of cash. You'd be surprised what they can generate. But the stock's not moved anywhere because the uh, the management has not been, shall we say, um, 
prudent allocators of capital. <laughs> How's that? That was, puts that, it that, kindly. That, yes. that was very kind of you. Um, let's talk about options because uh, Jeff, in, in addition to working on Pro, you also work on on Motley Fool options. Um, and and this is a service that that isn't open at the moment, so so it's not like we're trying. to We will be someday things. again. So, someday, but I mean, come on in, folks. But but just <clears throat> let's spend a couple of minutes on sort of options one hundred and one because I'm uh, I've been investing in stocks uh, for a good fifteen years or so, and options. That's one of those things as an investor. I have never seriously considered it because I just look at options and go, you know what, that's that's too much time involved. That's too sophisticated for me, and I, like, I don't know about that. I, I like. Wait, don't I, we look sophisticated <laughs> to you? I like the not you so much, Jim. Yeah, but, well, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, but but I like sort of this simple. Uh, I, I, it's very easy for me to wrap my head around if I buy a share of stock. I'm a part owner of the company, and then I'm focused on the business. Mm-hmm. So so let's spend just two minutes or so on sort of, you know. Uh, educating me on options. The, and options get a bad rap, too. They as do. part of the, they they're, they're short-term, they're risky. Well, here's how we view it. Stocks, we are long-term investors in equities, of course, and options complement that. You can use options as tools to buy stocks cheaper or to sell your stocks at a higher price or to leverage your upside and generally create and to create income as well on positions that you know well. So in Motley Fool Options, Jim and I for the most part, more than half the time, are creating income trades. And the reason is we also own equities that we own for the the long haul, just like you, Chris, and any sane American out there. <laughs> so we own great companies. We let those compound over time. We don't yep. sell them and give money to Uncle Sam unless we need to. But but we use stocks on the side to complement those returns. Options on the side? Options on the side, okay. sorry. Um, I'm so stock-focused today when it's supposed to be about options. We use options on the side to complement our stocks, make income, get better buy and sell prices, and leverage. You can you can get more upside as well. Um, so it sounds like from an allocation standpoint, you're talking about uh, for someone like me, a, a small percentage of the portfolio. Like if you're lo- you know if you're looking to get into options, first and foremost, we're talking about a small percentage of your money. And, and it can be. Yeah. I don't even think of it that way. I just I think of the two working together. And at times you'll have quite a few options in your portfolio, and at other times you'll be mostly equities. But usually there's a mix. And it's it's hard to separate the two because they really do work together. Uh, yeah. And, sorry, I was just going to say, and, and moreover, you know, just to even throw something almost kind of crazy out there, options. I mean, they're shunned as, as Jeff says, they're shunned because they're too short term, or there's a lot of fear. You know, they're just another investing tool. And you know, for example, I could recreate your portfolio using just options, and you don't actually don't put any cash in there, just by the structure of how we can play with it. Now, we're not going to do that, and that would be you know somewhat crazy, and you'd be. You'd, you'd be overly stressed, probably, but you could yeah. you could do it. And so, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make lots of money, as Jeff says. We're trying to have high income trades. We are taking shares when we when we when we can. We're getting better prices, and a lot of times too, we're using options to to leverage. And leverage, you know, leverage has a bad rap, somewhat justifiably. I was, was going to say <laughs> um, probably but, for good reason. But anyone who, I mean, you know, aside from you know the housing unpleasantness or whatever, you know, most people were perfectly in in, in a non crazy housing bubble mode. Most people aren't paying cash for their house. They're they're using leverage. They're getting a mortgage. That's leverage. And, you, and that's leverage. Borrowed money yeah. is the leverage you want to avoid. Options are leverage in that they magnify your returns. We never ever borrow money to buy no, an option. Absolutely not. It's our money. But the option is just if a if a stock is twenty dollars. It's call option maybe $1. And so you buy that $1 call option. When the stock goes up, that goes up a multitude more than the stock. So that's the leverage we're talking about. There's no borrowed money involved. 
Um, for investors who are presumably working with either a financial advisor, a broker, maybe even just an online brokerage, um, what are one or two questions to ask whoever they're working with uh, before they uh, get into options? Is this right for my profile? A lot of retirees use covered call and put writing portfolios to make income month after month because mm -hmm. it's that reliable. and. It's lower risk than owning shares outright, actually. So is this something, is there a strategy that can fit in with my investing goals and not increase my risk whatsoever, actually maybe reduce it? And the answer for many people in their 60s or 50s, or in my case, I started in my early 30s, <laughs> yes, there's right. a way to use options and generate income each year using them and not increase your risk. You do give up some upside because that money could otherwise, that equity could otherwise be in some some stocks just to hold for the long term. But that's in a nutshell what you want to find out. Can options improve your overall performance given what you're trying to accomplish? Uh, finally, guys, after 244 years, Encyclopedia Britannica is going out of print. The company announced its latest version of the 32-volume I just bought my last print I just edition. bought them. Will be its last. Uh, it's available. They're basically, they're, they're going to sell them until they run out. It could be a collector's item now. It could be a collector's item. And for $1,395, which is what they are going for. I bought uh, two sets. One, <laughs> one would hope. Uh, I love this quote from the president of Encyclopedia Britannica. He says, quote, This has nothing to do with Wikipedia or Google. This has to do with the fact that now Britannica sells its digital products to a large number of people. But he just had to mention them anyway. <laughs> I was just going to say, and he expects us to believe this? Um, it has nothing to do with Google and Wikipedia. I mean, it, it's, uh, I, when I saw this headline, my first thought was, wow, they're still, they're still selling those? I didn't know that yeah, they were still I, doing I, the... the well, what's great, fight. doesn't it harken back to your childhood, too? When when we used to get these at home, it was like uh, as good as Christmas, practically, and you flip through them and wow. learn all you can. <laughs> My I, Christmas was better than that. I, I, was gonna say, I, don't know as, I don't know about as good as Christmas, but I do remember having them up on the shelf, and you know, in grade school, if you had to do a book report, that's where you went. Absolutely. You just went and, but it, obviously, it makes perfect sense they do this now. That's an expensive set of books, and I guess it's a tiny fraction of their revenue at this point, I think below 2%. It's so, below two percent of their revenue. Yeah, yeah. So it's a pretty why easy, did, pretty easy choice. To why did it take end them until twenty twelve? I mean, you, you got to milk that cow. Why not? They took it down from what <laughs> ninety some percent down to one percent now. And all right, now yeah. we can close up shop. Yeah, exactly. Um, today is March fourteenth, uh, or as it's known in our editorial group, it's Pie Day. Pie Day. Mm. Three one four. Favorite pie, Jeff Fisher. Banana, banana cream pie. My my mother makes a mean banana cream pie. Really. Yep. Yep. All right. She might have to send one. Uh, Jim, what about you? She would. Well, yeah, I might be Canadian, but it's a Southern treat pecan pie. Really? I really love me some pecan pie. Is it, mm. uh, is it available north of uh, uh, we We smuggle it in occasionally. Nice. Contraband <laughs> style. I, I mean, like yeah, that. Especially with a little bourbon and chocolate in it, too. Fantastic. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, uh, a nice uh, piece of apple pie warmed up goes wonderfully with a little bourbon on the side. So well, You guys have made me thirsty now. <laughs> I want some pie for lunch now. <laughs> Jim Gillies, Jeff Fisher. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you here. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.